PFL is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Tennessee ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest easiest way to get into the game you can get uh in-app panoramic seat photos from every section so you know hey this is where i'm sitting and this is where my view is so if there's a giant pole in front of you you will find that out before you hit purchase so you know you're not going to get into the stadium and be disappointed there's tickets across every major league every team uh, whatever you want to go game time can take you there it's a simple quick app easy to navigate two tap checkout that's always nice if you need to buy them in a hurry. And, of course, there's sports tickets, but you can also get tickets to music, concerts, uh, theater, whatever you want to find, Game Time can take you there. So head to the App Store, the Play Now Store, or go download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome back to this week's episode of PFL. Uh, I hope you guys have uh, started making plans for the ticker tape parade in the city of Knoxville, Tennessee. My uh, co-host, Joe Rexrode, here with us. Quite a run for the Vols, Joe. We've got a lot to talk about here. Welcome welcome for, for, for joining us, even though you did not join me in Lexington this weekend. Indeed. Uh, and uh, I must say, watching that game at a bar in Newport Beach, California. I'm out here for a wedding. Um, <laughs> that's that, a humble brag. That's what that is. That's yeah, it, that it's is. a bit of a humble brag. No, you're right. That's, that's fair. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I got the TV. I got a good TV put on the uh, the game there. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was an old-fashioned – it was just a fascinating game, you know, with, with obviously Kentucky's decision at quarterback and the way it all came down to the end. It really – it was like an old-school – smash mouth you know football game and some people may not like that stuff but I thought it was actually fascinating and obviously just really a testament to Tennessee's I think toughness and growth and physicality and attention to detail on defense that they were able to hold on at the end there I got a take for you Joe I want to get your thoughts on this uh I think this is Tennessee's most impressive win of the season they go on the road Uh, obviously they haven't won on the road this season Granted, they've only had, what, two chances so far, but they get outgained. They have more penalties. They get down 13 nothing. They defended 71 plays. They ran 45. Like I said, they're on the road. They, they switch to a one-armed man at quarterback at halftime, plus they have a <laughs> pump block. Tennessee still wins. Uh, Kentucky, you know, people get caught up in the brand names. If you look at the records, they're not all that different from Mississippi State or South Carolina. You could make a case better than both. But this is a team that has shown now multiple times, you know, that they uh, are sort of done flinching when things go bad. It's an improving team, and what I saw when you add all that up is a team that has a larger margin of error, and that means you have a better team. If you can win that kind of game, that says, hey, you know, there's the wins and losses, and I believe in some ways you are what your record says you are, but you're also kind of not. And I think this Tennessee team is is certainly one that looks like it's better than its record, and, and that's because... That's a game that they could not have won last season. I think they lose that game 35-10 last year. 
Wow. Um, I wrote about this earlier, but I, you know, that, that's just this is the, sort of the growth in this team because when things go bad, even when more and more things go bad, it seemed like they really did sort of fight through that. Am I right? Is this Tennessee's most impressive win while also being its ugliest win? I, I could I could get behind that take. I could uh, because <laughs> and, and you know it was it was geared up to like Kentucky. There was so much talk on the broadcast about you know the revenge, and they talked it up all week. Obviously, last year, you know Tennessee put a damper on on historically good season. By the way, interesting to hear you use brand name and Kentucky football in the same sentence. But you know, I mean that Mark Stoops has done that kind of work there. They were geared up to have this emotional home game. You got the surprise QB, and you got. Uh, like you said, you've got some big plays that I think easily could have buried the balls. The biggest of which, of course, is the fumble late, the, mm-hmm. the botch exchange, which at that point you're like, man, I mean, they just had so many opportunities to, um, you know, to be in control here. And now this and, you know, it just it, it totally set up to me to be, you know, Kentucky touchdown late. I think they did a masterful job of, by the way, just salting away that clock. knowing it's it's it, look, it's we're going to run the ball in or we're, or that's it, you know. And for them to, to stand up to it, I, I think I can I can agree with you on the impressiveness of this win. It was definitely a um, you know a, a resolve and mental fortitude victory, and that those kinds of victories are um, they'll say something you know about what's happening in a program. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know these things are not quite as dramatic or as complicated as sometimes it, it looks. And last night, you know, you talked to the players, you talked to Jeremy Pruitt, he was just, but they was, they were failing to cover basic things. You know, whatever your responsibility is, if you've got the pitch man, get the pitch man. If you uh, are responsible for the back, get the back. They were not doing those things in the first half. And yes, Lynn Bowden, spectacular talent. Uh, last week on the pod, if you guys didn't listen to the subscribers only pod, uh, Kyle Tucker convinced me to vote for uh, Lynn Bowden as the the all the all purpose <laughs> spot for the All American team. Watching him in person did not dissuade me. He really no, was like, a yeah. athlete. He really was. A, he had an, an incredible game. I asked Daryl Taylor, you know, what it was like, and and he was just laughing. He said, "Man, he had us gassed out there." You know, he said it was hell chasing him around, and and you get him. He's like, and it's such a relief because you chase around this little dude, and he's just running everywhere. Uh, it was a little bit like uh, you know a Kyler Murray situation, but not obviously as accomplished a passer, but just they couldn't get their hands on him. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this is, uh, they fixed those things. And I think that speaks to a belief in Pruitt sort of telling his guys, Hey, listen, we have the right scheme. This is going to work. Just do your job, you know, to, uh, to, to dip into the Belichick bag of cliches and the, uh, process trusting ways. It's kind of just that simple. And that was not happening in the first half. And also one thing Pruitt alluded to as well was uh, Kentucky was running a lot of tight formations previously. Uh, a lot of guys close line, and I think some of that might have been because of the rain, but they basically went opposite. They spread Tennessee out. They were running a lot of five wide, a lot of basically using the whole field, create some space, and Tennessee just didn't have enough speed on the field, and that was part of those adjustments in the second half. As you said, they went a lot more to their nickel package. They put another DB on the field, a little more speed to try and chase down Bowden, and it worked. Uh, you got to fight speed with speed. I mean, Kentucky was not really pushing them around as much as it might have seemed early. Um, and so, like I said, I, I just think it speaks to a belief in sort of getting behind what the coach is saying and not a lot of guys saying, no, I got this. And then the guy next was, no, I got this. And then all of a sudden, nobody's got this. It was it was some team defense, and that was that was impressive from where I was sitting. 
Yeah, and it was, I mean, you could kind of say, I mean, see, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break early. I know, you know, Pruitt's going to say what he says as a coach, and, you know, they, they prepare and they think they, you know, have things set up. But, but I, I still think you have to make an adjustment, you know, in, you know, on the sidelines and also on the field to what they were doing. I mean, to me, it was kind of like going against a triple option team. And, you know, I, I just, you could kind of tell during the game when they felt comfortable, when they finally had everything set up, like, okay, I'm going here, you're going here do your job, and then, of course, every once in a while, Bowden just runs around and twists left and right, and it's mm. like, oh, my gosh, when is this play going to ever you know, end? I mean, there are some plays that he just makes that are going to you know, take you out of your lane, take you out of your comfort zone, and, and you've got to just kind of keep your head there. But um, I just thought overall, by the end there, I mean, I still thought there was a good chance Kentucky got it done because Bowden's tough to tackle. And, you know, I mean, some of it is really just like you and me in this small space, and can you tackle me? Can mm-hmm. you bring me down before I slither past you? Uh, and I thought of all the people, I mean, Daniel Batuli, <laughs> what, what a player and, and what a season he's having and what a leader he's been for this team. And to me, he set the tone for everything. Just You just knew, he knew what was coming, where everything was going, where everyone should be. And it seems like he made about half the plays last night. Yeah, you know, he really has grown. Last year, you know, he was reliable, but he kind of felt like just a guy. And I think he has really taken a leap into being – you know, an impact player for them this year. So, so props uh, to him. A big night. He's had a few of those during this run. Um, speaking of big nights, we got to talk about uh, Mr. Jarek Garantano, the one-armed bandit, Chubbs himself. <laughs> uh, the tweet of the season. Great tweet we, by him. Great can we, tweet. The tweet of the season, no question. <laughs> you know, after Alabama, you know, folks were ready to have him tarred and feathered in Market Square. I think that would have drawn quite a crowd. Uh now, I mean, it's a shame Knoxville's uh, mayoral election was last week. If he ran now, he might have a decent shot of getting elected. Joe, truly the uh, the best and dumbest sport college football is. Um, but, you know, Gary Tanner, to his credit, he didn't really seem to change all that much, you know, if you ask his teammates. He was frustrated with himself, but he took a lot of the blame for the early season struggles. He talked about that last night. So, you know, he didn't start the season off like we liked, but I would take the blame for that. And but he stayed invested, and, and a lot of people were wondering if he'd even come back after Alabama. I got asked that a bunch. Uh, I think some fans were sort of uh, hoping that would be the case, and nobody's hoping that now. He kept working. He got a shot, and, and he played well. Uh, what did you make of, of not only last night, but just sort of his his last month? It's just been a great story, you know, and it is a it is one of those – Look, young players, you know, you may be unhappy with something happening and just want to just throw in the towel, but maybe stick it out, you know, and um, you never know what might happen because – You might be the starter next week too. Well, and that's – and honestly, and I I guess, you know, I don't know if this was a tough decision, but I still think credit to Jeremy Pruitt for making the move at halftime because I think it needed to be made, and it was a clear improvement. I mean, Garantano – this goes back to when the move initially was made. It was like, man, can you really, can you really expect a, a Maurer to be ready to do all the things and and uh, and be better? Even though Pruitt had been, or excuse me, Garantano had been struggling so much, and now it's like the weight's been lifted off Garantano with all the stuff that's happened, and he's back to kind of playing more like we thought he would play this year. Um, you know, I, I just thought he was tremendously sharp, especially you know, obviously those two drives. What a big time play to seal the game too, to you know, to to show some wheels there and get the corner and get the first down. And again, with the hand and everything else, it, it's it really is a great story. And uh, mm-hmm. I would, 
I mean, look, going into this game, I said I still think Maurer has has you know has has demonstrated more upside as a playmaker and has this confidence and swagger. And you got to go with him. I mean, I'm I've, I'm just flip flopping all season, David. I'm flip flopping again. I, I think I think Garantano is is where you go now. Now, some people might still say, well, maybe he's just better off the bench and. I guess you could make that case, but I think I'm I'm going with him at Missouri in two weeks if I if I'm making that decision. You know, I, I think the interesting wrinkle to this is the quarterback room really does seem to be pretty cohesive. I, I feel like I have my thumb on the program decently. You don't hear a lot of rumors about tension or, or jealousy or those kind of things in the room. You didn't hear it much. You know, I think sometimes outside of the quarterback room, I wrote about that a little bit. At the athletic that. Some of the older guys on the team felt like it was disrespectful to go away from uh, Garantano at Florida. Disrespectful or not, you know, you can characterize that. Which, well, that's how a lot of the guys on the team felt. But you can see the body language in practice. You can see it in games. The quarterback room, you know, all those guys mobbed him. A bunch of receivers did as well. Your teammates calling him the sixth man, you know, he's kind of embraced that a little bit. Sure, not what he had dreamed this season to be, but he's been such a huge piece um, of what they have done. And it's been, a, you know, you, you talk about a fascinating storyline. That's why I wrote about it at length uh, on Saturday night as it sort of bled into uh, Sunday morning. Um, but, you know, a kid that, by all accounts, has really, you know, done everything you could ask of him. Uh, behind the scenes with his team, there was the, the whole rogue situation, which I still think was a bad read. Um, but attitude-wise and, and sort of the way that he's carried himself, you know, he hasn't performed like he'd wanted to, but... He's what you'd want out of a quarterback, and and uh, you know you kind of felt bad for him earlier in the year, and, and you got to feel good for him to, uh, like you said, stick it out, and be able to have not just one moment. I mean, how many moments have we seen now? They they threw a bunch of good balls against South Carolina, the uh, the, the the ball game sealer against uh, Mississippi State. You know that's a pretty you know quick little throw, but he did rally this team, and they were pretty much dead in the water, and then all of a sudden, bang bang, two touchdown drives. And nobody scores the rest of the game. In Tennessee, he just completely changed the, the tenor of the entire game. Yeah, and and I think it's also – yeah, look, like you said, with the room and everything, I mean, everyone's always going to say, oh, the room's great, they're close. I think that scene – and you tweeted about it right away – and that scene um, of the quarterbacks was a little bit telling, you know. And that, that's, mm-hmm. that's impressive because everybody wants to start. And, and every, you know, this is – Everyone good enough to play at this level has big dreams, and you know, there, there's there's heavy competition to to be in position to make those dreams come true, and so it is impressive they've been able to hang in, and just with him, I mean, and the fact that he's had fun with this too. I mean, he's <laughs> I think back to like last year when what week was it before Garen then Garantano was like allowed to speak at all, like uh, the it's first such a lost opportunity. I- yeah, so I got on this beat in June of, or I guess May or whatever of 2018. It doesn't really matter until camp starts. That was after spring. And he had not talked from November up until the Auburn game. After the Auburn game, they let him talk last year. Yeah, and it's like, and he, he's he been great. He's been hilarious. He's taken this, he's, he has demonstrated some maturity and perspective, uh, you know, for someone in his position. And he's also been respectful, too. I mean, this hasn't been easy, but... Um, I think he's a really good program spokesman, frankly. And so he's the most interesting interview on the team. I, every time he comes out and talks, he's interesting. He is uh, engaging and, and just a, he's a good kid. Yeah. And so, and that's why, that's part of why, you know, going to, you know, it's why September was so surprising to me because, you know, going to uh, media days, 
you know, when you get some extended time with those guys, it's not, you know, it's not the great. There are other conferences that do it much better in terms of access, but you still get enough get time. Started to get started on the SEC. Media. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a TV <laughs> you show. You have to uh, here. Anyway. I know. We, we always end up getting to, like, media complaining at some point. But, hey, you know, give, it, give us our uh, soapbox. But, you know, he was obviously very impressive talking about going over to Jeremy Pruitt's house for dinner and all that stuff, but also the Jim Cheney relationship. And I came away thinking, man, I think this kid could have a huge year because – you just feel like he has like a partnership with his OC now. And obviously an OC who's done a lot of good things. And so that's why the way the season started was so shocking to me. And of course it's never all on the guy. I mean, there are other things that work, but there were just some passes he was missing reads. He was missing. He looked uncomfortable and unsure of himself. And so I, I think I, I thought that was it. You know, I thought basically we had seen the end of the year in Tano and, you know, hopefully he finds another spot, you know, where he can, um, you know, uh, have one more good year and, and, and uh, you know, bounce back. And now th- this has been – I think this really is one of the better stories I've seen within a season and one of the more dramatic in terms of ups and downs when you think about what we thought, where it went, and now where it has gone and sort of the question of where it will go from here. It is, and I think that's – you know, he, he talked a little bit last night about, for the first time that I've ever heard him say, you know, he felt like he was confused a little bit in the offense, and he was confused at what he was seeing from defenses early in the season. And I think, obviously, the decision-making, um, you know, backed that up, that, that he, it, was, it wasn't clear what he was seeing. But, you know, you, you, you alluded to it. You know, so many people have sort of assumed as soon as Maurer came in and, and – and, uh, Threw a couple good balls against Georgia, and it looked like he wasn't going to give that spot back. So many people have assumed that he's just going to graduate. He's already got his degree, transfer somewhere else, and we'll see where that is. And it doesn't look like Butch Jones is getting that Rutgers job. But uh, he seems like a guy that that you know maybe he's turned a corner uh, a little bit, um, and he seems like a guy that that might be hungry for one more year to sort of keep this story going. I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Uh, I think you'll have some really uh, fascinating decisions to make at the end of the year. Uh, Harrison Bailey arriving as well. His situation is um, tough to predict. Tennessee's 2020 quarterback situation, also tough to predict. Um, but, um, you know, it's like you said, it's been a great story, and it is not even close to being done yet. I'm, I'm fascinated to see him and, and this team. And on that note, uh, Joey, look up. Tennessee is 3-3 three and three in the SEC. Two very winnable games against reeling Vanderbilt and Missouri teams. Joe, Tennessee, were you aware they've been above 500 in the SEC one time since 2007 in 2015 when they went 5-3? and three? Wow. That's, I know. That's a good stat. Yeah, the SEC is down this year. I think there's a lot of chaff, but Tennessee is burning through some of that. And if this team goes 5-3... and three, that is legitimately impressive. On the other hand, you are still carrying around the anchors of the uh, Georgia State-BYU debacles. But from your estimation, how is this season remembered if they do go 7-5 and five and, and, God forbid, 8-5 and five if they uh, go down to Florida and win a bowl game? Well, my question to you on that is, like, when are we remembering it? Because I think in, in the offseason it, it will be – I think a lot of people will be hopeful that it's – there's you know, gonna be some indica- hype for this team. You can see, yeah, the it. indication of of a to- a corner, you know, being turned ish. You know, uh, now you know down the road, if Jeremy Pruitt does get this program back to where it should be, then I don't th- think there's any question that this season will be looked at as, 
you know, the, 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 uh, the, the moment when things turn. Um, but I, yeah, if they go seven and five, get to a good bowl game, win that eight and five, and one to your last point on Garantano, if he's leading that, you know, I mean, how is he, he not all back, of a sudden yeah. a totally different situation on QB? But also, yes, I think, I think there will be a lot of hype for next year's team, and I think there will be a lot of hope that it really means something, um, you know, in terms of advancing to you know, wh- where Tennessee wants to be. Now, look, you can go back to Butch Jones and see where he got it to a certain point and couldn't get it past that. I mean, there's a, there's a ceiling for every coach, too, and we don't know what it is. But, man, at least we're not talking about the floor with Pruitt anymore, and it wasn't that long ago that we were. Well, Joe, what if you know Pruitt inherits a winless SEC team what if in year two with this team, which I think you and I can both say is is not a very remarkable one in the grand scheme of college football, what if he equals Butch's best season in the SEC in year two with this team? Because at five and three, he would. Yeah, it, it, it means something, no doubt. Um, I'm still, even right now at five and five, I'm thinking back. I remember what I thought was going to happen when they were five and five last year, you know? Yeah. So you're not wrong. Keep... I will say those are very different Vanderbilt, Missouri teams, but you're, you're not wrong. Yes. Oh, no question. But I'd still like, let's, let's see what, what happens with that. Uh, but no, there's no question. And, and look, it's just like, it's like early in the year, David, we, we were talking about, it's not just, you know, that you're own one or whatever it is, or, or the, what the bottom line might be because you lost a game you should win. It's also the the chatter and atmosphere outside that gets tough. recruiting trail media whatever it is fans it gets tough you can try to insulate yourself but it's impossible you can't do it with your whole program and it makes your job harder when you have games like that where you lose to Georgia State and it's embarrassing and then you blow that game to BYU well the flip side of that is you know now you, you know you can see where momentum can start happening here in, in all those areas because you've turned things around. And like you said, five and three in the SEC, not a great SEC, maybe not a lot of huge eye-opening wins, but still it, that would be significant. And I think you could easily sell much easier if you're Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, hey, we got something cooking here. Well, I said seven and five to start the season. I've been right all along, Joe. You, you, you never, and you never strayed. You never strayed from it, David. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just. Uh, this has been one of the more interesting teams that uh, I have ever been around because people want to talk about uh, culture change, and it's too often I think that people put too much stock in what guys say. Sometimes if guys are explaining things, you can sort of put stock in that. But a lot of the times, I just don't think that that stuff means a whole lot. What means a lot is when you sort of show it. And to me, Tennessee looks like a team that showed a culture change. Because I, like I said at the, stop, at, the tar, or at the start of the show, this team could not have handled that last year, the 13-0. That was the one marker of the 2018 team is when things went bad. It got worse. They could not dig themselves out of holes. And they dug a pretty deep hole uh, in that first quarter, and they just sort of stayed the course and uh, made some plays. And uh, Marquez Callaway, a big night for him. Uh, they got a touchdown call. I think they had, what, three different touchdowns that were taken off the board at one point for reviews or penalties. Yep. And, um, and, and they bounced. But these are the things that, the, that last year's team, I wouldn't necessarily call them mentally fragile, but just they didn't show the kind of fortitude that this team has. And I don't particularly care 
when guys are talking about, oh, no, everybody's buying in, all this stuff, I, that stuff doesn't really mean that much to me. But when you can show it on the field, uh, it does. And last night, and I think these last month, we have seen it happen. Uh, we've seen it in reality, and, and uh, it's hard to not feel like this season is going to end quite a bit different uh, than the one from a year ago. I think last year, you know, you beat Kentucky, but this, they were still, you know, they hadn't played consistently, um, you know, stacking up wins and, and stacking up good performances. They were really up and down. And this year now, you've basically got, you know, I don't think they're going to hang that game in a museum, but you got five performances that you can feel pretty proud of. And last night was probably the worst of any of those five, and they still won the game. Um, so it's uh, a different Tennessee team, uh, to say the least, than, than from a year ago and even in September in some ways. No, and there's, again, to me, like there's got to be a lot of belief, confidence in what you're doing, preparation, discipline, and toughness. To close that game out after you you know, you had the fumble and the giveaway and you could sort of feel the game felt like, up oh, here it is. This is how they lose. And so to dig in there, and I understand people say, wow, gosh, how hard is it to t- stop a team that can't complete a pass? Well, i tell you what. <laughs> ask any Tennessee players about how, how easy it is to tackle Lynn Bowden and the different things they were trying to do. And they got, you know, I mean, they got close, but that was – I really think that was – pretty special moment for that defense led by Daniel Batuli. And I do think that you can take that. I agree with you totally on what do guys say. And, and, you know, and again, it goes both ways there too. Someone will say something like, oh gosh, this program is crumbling from within. You're like, well, you don't know that, you know, it really is. It's the product on Saturdays. It's 12 days a year that we really get a glimpse of what's happening. And so much of what is happening does translate to the product. Sometimes you have bad luck or good luck, but Typically, you know, you're going to see what's happening on that field, and I do think this win is very encouraging for Tennessee. Yeah, I think the simplest rule that I try to live by when I'm assessing uh, teams or whatever is when it comes to what's actually happening on the field and what a team is going to do, I trust my eyes a lot more than I trust my ears. And I think that's um, the simplest thing, and, and Tennessee – Showed us, showed us something. They have this last month and certainly uh, last night. Uh, Joe, uh, I will uh, hand you the mic for your uh, Coastal Elite food hour here. <laughs> uh, your, uh, your adventures in Orange County, uh, the OC. Uh, don't call it that. Uh, the OC. Uh, let's, let's sh- t- you've got a food adventure out there. Uh, let, let's hear. Hopefully, it doesn't involve you getting um, sideswiped by a policeman like uh, last week's. Episode. Yeah, no, no accidents out here, which has it's been, been it's nice. Good. That's an improvement, yeah, yeah. Joe. You're like Tennessee. You're We're on just a roll. taking baby steps. <laughs> exactly. Well, I've got two food wrecks actually. So, Santa Monica um, Father's Office, which is a very cool place, very cool like beer place, but. Uh, one of the most renowned burgers in the LA area. It was terrific. They do not allow ketchup in the place, which is interesting. Uh, but it, you know, it's aioli with Coastal your fries. Coastally. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. A little, but you know what? Play by the rules. It will be worthwhile. It's like a uh, blue cheese infused burger. Uh, really, really good. But yes, uh, and I hope I'm saying it right. Vaca, tapas place in Costa Mesa. If you're around Costa Mesa. Um, not in love with like having to valet your car again, Coastal Elite. Um, I did wear <laughs> I, I did wear shorts. A years. I gotta go out there. Yeah, yeah. I did wear shorts and I was fine though. But uh, yeah, tapas. Haven't had it. Watched it was just amazing. Like uh, bacon r- uh, wrapped dates. Uh, 
Uh, you know, we got the seafood end, meat paella. There was like a piece of duck in the paella. I was like, oh, wow, there's Sounds a, good. There's some duck in there. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, that everything was fantastic. Uh, this was, you know, we have friends who live out here who were like, yeah, this place is like the hot place or whatever. And you know, there's a million places like that. But uh, not that expensive and really, really good. So Vaca, there you go. Some tapas and some, some, and some non-ketchup having burger. Out in California, <laughs> I haven't had tapas in a while. The uh, there's a place, there's like a um, like a Central American place in Dallas. Um, I forget the chef's name, Stephen something. I forget his name, but it was uh, had some uh, arepas and some uh, some sort of grapefruit something. It was delicious. But uh, Joe, if anyone knows how much you and I like food, it's our it's our uh, committed listeners. Uh, but you know. Getting good food, especially when you're in a pinch, it's not the easiest thing. I'm sure you've been there, whether you're on the road or at home. Am I, am I right, Joe? I've been in basically every situation you could be in with food, David, <laughs> including that one. <laughs> good to know. Well, you know, I, I'm uh, I, I'm always hesitant because you never know they're going to get your order right, or you, you don't know if they're if it's going to cost so much. But let me listen, DoorDash. They do it right. They can connect you to uh, your favorite restaurants in the city. I've got a long list in Knoxville. I'm sure you do as well. And Nashville as well. We'll get you to the right ones eventually, Joe. But ordering's pretty easy. You open the app, choose what you want to eat. Your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza place on DoorDash. Joe, do you know how many restaurants they have? Take a guess. Oh, man. I'm going to be so off. How many restaurants? I mean, dozens? I- Dozens. Well, that's not incorrect. 340,000 in 3,300 cities. Joe, I think we can find something there. I think I think if I'm hungry, I can boot up DoorDash wherever I'm at. All 50 states, Canada, your local spots, your national chains, you know, your uh, Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Cheesecake Factory, all to wherever you want to go. So don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more. All they got to do, download the DoorDash app, enter promo code PFL. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code PFL. Don't forget, that's PFL for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Well, Joe, I got to do some research this morning. I was trying to see if uh, if DoorDash delivered uh, from Lexington, Kentucky. I'm not sure how much they would charge for that, but uh, so you're have you consumed Grater's ice cream? It's at your local Kroger uh, store. Have you consumed this before, Joe? I I don't believe so. I have heard oh of it. Goodness. I have not. I don't believe I've consumed it. So it's a Cincinnati-based chain. They cook all. Or they I say cook. They prepare whatever you want to call the process. All of their ice cream in small batches. Um, you know, I'm not an ice cream uh, uh, expert, but I guess that makes it better. Anyway, so I was in Lexington this weekend. I discovered right by my hotel was a brick-and-mortar graders place. But I did not know that they had these outside of Cincinnati. Obviously, uh, Kentucky plays at Kroger Field. I can't say I was shocked. It made sense to me <laughs> that we would see this. But it's a Cincinnati-based deal, Lexington, not that far. But it was basically an ice cream shop um, that served all of the Grater's flavors. I'm usually not a fruit ice cream sort of guy, uh, but the black raspberry chocolate chip is um, one of the best ice creams I have ever had in my entire life. 
And I have had it at Kroger in the little pint thing. It's like six dollars a pint. So you gotta you gotta really, you gotta want, really it. want it. You gotta really want it. But this was fresh made at the place. Uh, not quite the uh, rock hard consistency of uh, the the stuff you get at Kroger, but it was uh, a fantastic uh, experience. And a, of course, the ice cream I've come to know and love. Joe, you got to get with the program. The next time you're in a Kroger, they have those in Nashville, right? I've never lived in Nashville, but they're a Kroger. Oh, absolutely. Right? No, okay. we've got, yeah, we, we'll go, we go regularly to go to a Kroger. Go to the ice cream. It's a little, it's just look for G-R-A-E-T-E-R apostrophe S, graters. Go buy yourself a carton of either the coconut black or coconut chocolate chip or the black raspberry chocolate chip. The black raspberry chocolate chip, it's like not tiny chocolate chips. There's gigantic like fist size hunks of chocolate in there. That just wow. sort of chip off. I can't even like in there. The consistency is like no other chocolate chip that you've ever sort of had. It like at the same time is like solid but kind of play doughy, and that it will just kind of. I can't even tell. Just go get it. It's unbelievable, and it was well, just that- as good from the uh, from the source as it was, you know, shipped and frozen and and all that kind of stuff in uh, in the freezer section at Kroger. I'm intrigued by the coconut because I normally don't like it. There's two 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 types of coconut I like. One is on Samoa's, the greatest cookie ever made. It's up and place, definitely. The other is there's a, a ice cream place. I think it's. I mean, I've only had it in Florida. I think it's just in Florida. Maybe I'm wrong, but Kilwins, uh, some places along the Gulf Coast that uh, they have. I this think there's coconut. one in Knoxville actually. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Is. See, it's uh, they all they always spread everywhere. But yeah, okay. Yeah. And I don't. Maybe they weren't even. But that's the only time I've seen it. Um, they have like a coconut flavor that's incredible. So I'm intrigued by this if it's such a good quality ice cream with the coconut. Even though I don't normally like it, I think I may have to give that a shot. I absolutely love it. I'm telling you, I would consider myself a moderate ice cream guy. The best ice cream I think I've ever had. It really is. And then especially from the source, it's uh, it's fantastic. So if you can't get in Lexington or you don't live near Cincinnati, I'm sure we have some readers that are somewhere in in uh, Ohio and the surrounding areas. But at Kroger's, they do have it because it's a Cincinnati-based whole thing. And if you can get there and you haven't had it, it's, it's worth the, the try. So I'm glad to uh, spread the word about Graders. Joe, you gotta you got to get with the program on this one. This is uh, You know I will. You, as soon as I assume as soon as we're done recording here, you will be on your way to Kroger. I, I'm going to I'm going to scour the way. I don't think we have those out in Cali, but I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'll find something. I don't something. think so. That's true. Well, that will do it for this week's uh, PFL. My co-host, Joe Rexrode, thanks for joining us again. From uh, sunny, humble, braggy Orange County, California. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, we will see you again very, very soon. And tune back in later this week for our subscribers-only episode. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. It only helps make more episodes of the show that we hope you've come to know and love. So again, for Joe Rexroad, I am David Ubbin. That's been another episode of PFL. As Tennessee's season takes a much sunnier turn, so too does this show. So thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again next week. Mm-hmm.